We're in the book of Proverbs. You can turn to Proverbs chapter 25. We've been going through the book of Proverbs for our summer series, studying the wisdom writings found in Proverbs. And as you came in, you should have got a bulletin that said instructions for life. That's really the, the main theme of all of the ways that we're trying to understand wisdom offered by the Proverbs and how wisdom and knowledge and understanding turns into the way we're supposed to live our lives, the instruction. Um, as we've been going through this, and you think about all of the week-by-week -week themes that we've looked at, you could almost retitle the entire series Instruction for Relationships. Because really when you study Proverbs and you really meditate on what they're saying, they're teaching us how to live well by the fundamental need that we have for relationships. And so it, by way of review, just think about everything we've talked about so far. The very beginning of our study said that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So you got to get your relationship right with God before you receive any of his instruction. And then as we went week by week, it was really relationship by relationship. And we talked about the necessity for having wisdom in the way that we use our words to not talk about each other rudely, to not gossip, to not have our, our mouths out of control when we use our speech. And then we talked about the relationship we have with our friends and friendship and wisdom and how to be a good friend and the importance of friendship. With that, we contrasted friendship and family and neighbors. And then we last week looked all the whole theme was husband and wives and what wisdom says about the importance of getting those instructions right. Next week, we're going to look at parenting, how to be people who understand wisdom and instruction, not just for our lives, but how to impart it into the lives that God has given us to care for. And so you think about all of that. And apart from the fear of the Lord, there is one relationship that really sets all of the others into order. And it is... Uh, it's one of the most frustrating relationships of your life. It is inevitable. This person follows you everywhere, and you can't get rid of them. And they're the, the first one that is really responsible for your problems and the last one to accept blame. And, of course, we're talking about not your mother-in-law or your unavoidable neighbor or the frustrating family member that you see at all the functions. We're talking about you. The fundamental relationship, other than your relationship with God, and this relationship has everything to do with that one, is the relationship that you have and the responsibility you have to put yourself in order. And as much as we live in a day and age that tries to find blame and point the finger for the problems of our world and the problem of your life at everyone but you, the Bible is clear that one of the great enemies of life is yourself. And so today we are going to look at the very important topic, maybe the topic that sets all wisdom into motion, which is the topic of self-control. So we look first at Proverbs chapter 25 with one of those great proverbial pictures, starting in verse 28, to look at the, 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 the theme or the picture of self-control by actually looking at something else. It says in verse 28 of Proverbs chapter 25, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. So we have Hebrew literature, the likening of one thing to another. 
And this wisdom says, if you can't rule your spirit, or in this sense, put your passions, your spirited desires into order, you can be likened to a city that has no wall. The walls have crumbled down. And we, we do a little bit of historical context for this, but not something that's hard to grasp. We don't live in a day and age where walls are a necessity for a city, but we are not far removed from that being the case for most of human history. For a city to actually have a society, a civilized people group inside of it that has a functioning economy, has a functioning justice system, you have to have borders, and those borders have to be protected so that city can be secure. And an ancient reader would read this, and it would be a matter of fact that if that protection that comes by the way of a wall so that the enemy can't get out or can't get in and justice can't get out, the wall goes down and the city eventually comes to ruin. Uh, we just went to Israel, and it was in some ways a study of the prosperity and the demise of Israel based off the security of the wall. When this is when the king was ruling and the wall was secure and Israel was being blessed. And this is when Israel worshipped idols and the walls came down and the enemy came in. And with that picture in mind, we now have an understanding of what the Bible is saying about how God made us to live. That we ourselves are a little functioning society within ourselves. And we have all sorts of passions and desires. And those things need to be ruled with a guard in, 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 in fenced. And when we can't control our passions, we are a disaster waiting to happen. We are a city that is waiting to turn into rubble. And you think about the great problems of your life and how often they have the word self right in front of them. And it is all flowing from a lack of self-control or a lack of your ability to put your desires into order. Think about these words. Times you've experienced when you've been self-deceived. Hard to see through that one. And all of the ways that in self-deception you are letting the destruction come into your life. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know how you're fooled. Self-pity. When you become the center of all of the things that you're focused on and all of your energy goes into just how hard and how horrible your own life is. Self-conceit in the other way, how great you are. Self-importance, self-centeredness, self-indulgence, all eventually pointing you down a road of one form or another of self-harm. It's been said that all temptation leading to sin is, in fact, an inside job. And as much as we look out and blame everyone else, the Bible says so much of the rubble of our lives is due to a lack of self-control, the inability to rule over our own passion. And so today we're going to look at what the Proverbs say. Here's some wisdom and instruction so that the walls that encompass your life would not break down and that you would not allow all of those self-qualifying uh, problems come into your life and allow your life to turn into rubble. We'll look at what is essentially wisdom for self-control in three parts as we look for the Proverbs to speak to us. We have the first part, which is the warning. What the Proverbs will tell us, uh, much like the crack in the wall, here's what will happen 
if you don't have self-control. And then secondly, we'll, we'll look at the reward. Wherever there is a, reward, a warning, it is to uh, help us to see the reward. And then finally, and maybe the most important part, how do we actually rule over our passions? How do we go from people who feel out of control to feel the, the joy and the reward of having a life that is well-ordered? And so we'll spend probably the most time looking at the key to self-control. But we start with the warning, which is fairly obvious. How many of you have felt at times there's something in your life that has lost your control, that you once ruled and now it rules you? And the Proverbs will we'll look at two Proverbs, and they'll essentially give us warnings with two lens, a nearsighted warning and a farsighted warning. Essentially saying, if this happens to your life and self-control is something that you can't control, there is immediate effects and there are long-term effects. First, the immediate. It says, have you ever found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. So here's an, an ancient predicament. You find the honeycomb. And it doesn't say to not enjoy it. Honey is something sweet, it can be therapeutic, it can be something to be enjoyed. But what it is saying is do not overindulge in the good thing that you have found. In other words, there are sweet things in life that can make you sick. And one of the ways that the warning for the immediate can be plain to see is that we live in a culture of overindulgence. We live in a culture that has taken many of the sweet things of life and of God and of our modern world, and they have offered them to us with such a high amount of volume that they eventually make us sick. I mean, think about all of the ways we could think of modern examples. I doubt any of you are struggling with honey this morning. If you are, you came to the right service. Stop eating so much honey. But you're no doubt struggling with one of the many ways that you could be indulging in our culture. How many of you have felt like you just pull out the phone too much and you scroll through your preferred app too much? It's a sweet thing that will eventually make you sick. How many of you have enjoyed a small leisure time in video games and then just turn it into something that you give over to everything? Uh, how about checking emails, or sports scores, or stocks, or news alerts, watching TV, movies, YouTube? You work too long, you stay up too late, you party too hard, you worry too much, you fear the future, you can't stop your racing mind, you lust after everything, and certainly something on the list is a way for you to understand the overindulgence that we live in. And the immediate says, put the brakes on with the first way that you get the warning, because the, the example of honey gives a very immediate danger. If you eat too much, you actually hate to get so graphic in church, but I happen to just be reading the Bible. Eat too much and you will vomit. It's, it's nature's way or your body's way of pulling the emergency brake on something you should no longer do. The, the idea being, if you have to go through that intense of a lesson, hopefully you now realize that is not a good thing for your life. I was watching the movie Sandlot. How many Sandlot fans are out there? Classic movie. I find no fault in it, so I can recommend it to anyone. <laughs> There's a moment of overindulgence 
where self-control was lost, the, the, the ragtag bunch that practices at the Sandlot beats the, the rich kids across town. They, they win the baseball game and they go out to celebrate, go to the county fair, and as they're walking in, one of the kids pulls out some chewing tobacco. And he says, what do you guys want to take some chewing tobacco? And they all take it and they go on the tilt-a-whirl and they, they get the result of something coming out to say, you shouldn't do that ever again. And as they're leaving with stained shirts, the narrator says, from then on, we decided to stick to bazooka bubblegum. That's good. Short-sighted warning so that you don't continue down a path that will eventually turn your life into self-control with long-term effects. And everything on the list that we just listed, hopefully you've had moments when you've overindulged with your spending, you've overindulged with drinking or eating or enjoying the leisure time, and something has happened to say, pump the brakes on that. Most of us are stubborn enough to pump right through that, to go right through the initial warning. And that's why the Proverbs say, okay, if vomit isn't a good enough lesson, let's get a longer case view of what will happen if you don't control your passion. So now we come to the next warning, which is the long view. Proverbs chapter 23, don't mix with wine bibbers. These are not your social drinkers. These are people who have committed to drinking every day, every chance they get. They're alcoholic for wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. Again, these are not people who are enjoying the occasional feast, but they eat meat to the point of gluttony, overindulgence as a def definition now of their life. And look what happens. The drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. You do this long enough, you spend all your money on wine and meat, on feasting, and you're going to lose your money, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags, so you'll be poor in rags. Uh, this example, specifically with alcohol, is just as current today as it was when the proverb was written. Uh, we just went, my family and I just went to New York, and it is what I call the vacation Bible school for my kids as we look out on humanity. And there were times when I got to do the real lesson of a long view, not just warning my children about bad choices, about losing control with something like alcohol or drugs, but actually pointing to something that was rags and poverty. And without judging or without trying to lay a burden on the person who had fell into this lifestyle with all compassion in my heart for the predicament they find themselves in when I found people on the street that were living in rags. It was a great time to say, this is what happens if you go down that road. And of course, these are extreme examples. We can preach an entire sermon on temperance specifically for alcohol and food. But the idea is to take the examples and expand it into any area of your life where have you have lost the ability to rule over your passion and now your passion rules you. It is not going to just cost you a hangover on the weekend or an overdraft fee once or twice. What the Bible is saying is if you lose control of your passions, eventually it will take you down a road where you are no longer in control of your entire life. We don't belabor this because the problem with self-control or lack thereof is largely self-evident. And every single one of you can look out into the streets and see the example or look into your life and be warned of the path that you're currently on for all of the ways you do too much of the category that the Lord is convicting you in right now. So, as we stated, we look at the warning so that we can focus on the reward. 
The Proverbs are full of warning and reward, and it is always to point us to the reward. The Bible does not want to put us in a spiritual straitjacket and fear wrong steps. In, in fact, it points us to say, this is the way that God designed your life so that you can enjoy your life more. So now we look at the reward. And we start with what I find to be a, a good time to look at self-control defined. So if you collected all of the different ways that wisdom and knowledge and understanding lead to instruction so that we can control our life, Here's a working definition. Consider this. Self-control is the ability to use sound judgment or wisdom in choosing the important thing over the urgent thing, resulting in long-term health rather than short-lived pleasure. This is what is being offered through the wisdom writing. As it said in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord, his design, his priority for your passions. Reorder them so that you're not living for the urgent pleasures, but you are making decisions for long-term health, and it will be health to your bones. Wisdom will, in fact, add years to your life. It will bless all areas of your life, wherever your passions are properly ordered, and you begin to use sound judgment, there will be a long-term reward. Here's one example, a proverb explaining the reward in the area of maybe the self-control 101 lesson, which is how we all need to practice self-control with our words, with the words that are really an overflow of our thoughts and our heart, and how we can actually find self-control for our inner selves. It says, he who guards his mouth. Now the, the, now the, the, the picture of the wall Picture it now, not just around your whole life, but around your mouth. The wall guards the mouth, and you preserve your life. But he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. Where the guard of self-control covers any category, you are leading to life. Open wide your mouth and see what happens to your friendships. See what happens to... Uh, we just talked about marriage, husbands and wives. Let's see what happens when the wall of your mouth just falls down and you open wide your mouth and watch all of the destructive path that will follow. And conversely, find out what happens when you choose your words wisely and you bridle your tongue like, like we bridle horses to put it under control and find all of the ways that your words will actually be used to bring life and encouragement and enhance your relationships and extend your health. And again, this is just one way the Proverbs give us one category. But the idea is that the reward is plain as well. There's a new documentary out uh, on all of the, the ways that we can watch documentaries about people who are, are worth viewing because they did something that the world would consider great with their lives. Uh, one that I enjoyed growing up in the 80s and 90s was Arnold Schwarzenegger's because he was the last action hero. Literally, that was his movie. And he was a man of just giant muscle. I don't need to explain that to you. He's like the most popular muscle man of all time. And in the movie, he's 22 years old, and he is a specimen of muscle, and he's winning Mr. Olympia at 22 years old. He has migrated to, from Austria to the United States. He's learned English. He's mastered his body. He's won the medal that, that he set out to win. And he said, to master my body, I had to master my mind. Which means that the reward is self-evident. 
If you are able to master your mind to make good decisions about your physical health, to make good decisions about how to exercise, your reward will be self-evident. We don't have to, I don't have to convince you that when you do well in the categories of discipline, there is all sorts of net benefits to your finances, to your body, to your relationships. So what we have to ask more deeply is how do we actually master our mind? And we don't do it just by looking at the few uh, people throughout history that have found a category of success. The goal is not to make all of you bodybuilders. Because no doubt, Arnold Schwarzenegger will master one area of his life, but not all of his life. There are certain areas of his life where there is no doubt cracks in the wall. So we now look to the wisdom writing to say, okay, the danger is clear and the reward is obvious, but how, in fact, do we take lives that are out of control and put them into control? So we'll spend the time looking at the Proverbs that offers us some insight into how we can grow from the Word of God into disciplined lives more and more and more. So we start by looking once again where we started, Proverbs chapter 25. I find it helpful sometimes, not always, with the collection of wisdom being somewhat fragmented. But in this case, it's really interesting to read the verse right before the one we started with. And look what it says. It is not good to eat too much honey. So to, seeks one, to seek one's own glory is not glory. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Inserted into the proverb is a warning not just about unruly, un, lack of self-control, but at the center of it is someone who's seeking their own glory. The proverb writer said, it won't be glorious. Seeking your own glory is like eating too much honey. Neither one of them are good. Seeking your own glory is parallel with losing control of your passions. In other words, this is a matter of who you're worshiping. Every decision where your passion controls you is putting you at the altar of worship. Is serving you foremost more than God and more than others. Your appetites and your desires and the way that you use your mouth and make your decisions. When you are seeking your own glory, you are walking towards a city of rubble. And so one first step in considering is this, is who is at the center of the decisions you're making. Now we get to a proverb that warns us what not to do. Because some of you may hear this message and think, okay, I get it. Got to try harder. I have to take control of my life. I have to take it back. I have to do things that will make me a more disciplined person. I'll set my alarm before I leave church and wake up earlier. I'll read my Bible more. And I myself will eventually overcome my lack of discipline by working harder. But look what the Proverbs say. A wise man fears and departs from evil. But a fool rages and is self-confident. So what we're not talking about is just doing better. On both scenarios, you're still at the center of the story. You're still at the center of the attempt to save the, the, the city in ruin. Consider this quote. The danger is self. Becoming over-controlling is just as dangerous as being out of control. Anorexia is no better than diabetes. Legalism is no holier than, than lust. You cannot repair the southern wall by removing bricks from the north tower. 
This is not a message to say, Christian, do better by picking yourself on your, by, up by the bootstraps and just say no to sin and grit your teeth and stop being out of control. This is a fundamental message that is the beginning of your faith and it is the endurance of your faith. And it is, in fact, where all control comes from and ends. It is a message that points us right back to the name of God himself. Apart from which there is no name under heaven by which men can be saved, including your own, for your own problems. And to get this point, the Proverbs require us to crack the riddle. Remember, Proverbs oftentimes unfold in a riddle to solve an enigma. And when we think about the metaphor of the city wall, I want you to take it to its end. Imagine the wall does come down. Imagine the enemy is now approaching the border where the wall once stood, and they are coming to ransack the city. A wise person would not simply stand there and try to put the bricks back up. We go back to Proverbs chapter 14. It says, the wise person fears evil and departs. Where do they go? And now we get our answer from the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 18. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. There's another picture of a wall, but there's this really important part of the defense of a city, not simply with the wall, but the tower of refuge. For when the wall is under breach, for when there is a crack, when there is an enemy, there is one last place of defense, and it is the tower, where all the people seeking safety would run to, and they'd come to the top. The last final uh, high point to, to outrun your enemy was the tower itself. And when the wall goes down, the people run to the tower. And when our walls crumble because of our lack of self-control, we do not rebuild the wall. We call upon the name of the Lord to seek refuge in the tower. It is the only way that we can ever find the perfect balance between a, la a lack of self-control and the replacement of legalism. Because if the sermon stops without pointing us to God, you will either feel condemnation or you'll feel pride. Some of you will feel condemned because you do do the things too much. And you say, yep, once again, I remember I'm not worthy because I overindulge and I can't control myself and I don't have good practices and I don't have good habits and I'm not discipled. And others of you will say, well, I am. If it's up to me, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And I wake up early and I come to church and I do everything right. And so now we have condemnation and we have pride. And one is not better than the other. There's lust and there's legalism. But there is one way that our lives can find the perfect control. It is not by taking back control. It is giving up control completely. It is to say to God, the tower of refuge, I need you. In your moment of weakness, he is your one defense. In your moment of success, he is your righteousness. In your moment of temptation, he is the only way that you can find the perfect wall of defense for your life. As I was meditating on this, at this exact moment as I was meditating, I was in my office yesterday, which is actually my car parked in the shade. <laughs> and I was, I was like, Lord, I, I, I'm beginning to understand from my own life how important it is for me to continually run to the tower. But how can I see the picture clearer? How can I just 
remember time and time again that you are the tower of refuge. And as I was contemplating that, someone pulled up and parked right next to me. And they looked over, and I looked over, because we're parked in the shade. And as she's looking at me, she holds up a sign that says, Jesus loves you. And I thought, that's the answer. <laughs> that is exactly what I needed to hear. Because the name of the Lord is a high tower has a deeper meaning than what this proverb even understood. The name of the Lord, in fact, has been revealed as Jesus the Christ. And through the revelation of the name of the Lord, we don't just get the answer for self-control. We get the answer for all of it. Salvation and cleansing, which is called sanctification, and how we can actually walk in the power to live our lives under the defense of the name of the Lord. It is, in fact, the covering of the power of Jesus given to us freely through his spirit. So I want all of us, whether you're saved or whether you're listening to this and you're thinking, Lord, this might be my cry for salvation. I want you to consider this powerful moment that Paul is writing to Titus about this very topic. The topic of how to live with a life of self-control. He says this, the whole chapter is about self-control. And then he says, here's the key. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men to those who are condemned, to those who are living with self-righteous pride, all men have received the grace, the undeserved favor of God for salvation. To not just rebuild the wall brick by brick, but to be plucked out of the rubble, rubble and put into the tower. And how, how does this look? When the grace of God brings salvation, it appears to all men. And what does it do? It teaches us that denying ungodliness... To acquire self-control, denying worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. It appears in two ways. The love of God poured out through Jesus Christ, saving us and sanctifying us, pulling us from the rubble and then getting all the dust off of our clothes and cleaning up our faces and binding up, bounding up our wounds. It is saving us, and it is sanctifying us. And this is the fundamental difference in how we answer the question for self-control or self-mastery between religion and Christ. Because up until the point where we actually look at the key to self-control, we have done nothing to separate ourselves from humans' desire to just be discipled people. All religions are trying to point people to better lives that have a better understanding of how to control the wild passions of the heart. But what religions say, without exception, is that you must pull yourself from the rubble and you must clean yourself. That you must do more. That you must try harder. That you must grit your teeth. That you must come and understand more about how to clean yourself up with all of the religious things to do, the services to attend, the money to give, the missions to go on. It is an all an effort to prove your worth. It's all dependent on what you can do. But the message takes an entire 180 turn when we hear the message of salvation by grace and sanctification by the Spirit it goes from what you can do to what God has done 
The grace of God has appeared through his son, Jesus Christ, saving us and purifying himself, purifying us for himself, his own special people. This is the joyful practice of not self-control by controlling yourself, but self-control by giving control to God. And I think about how to understand this message through how you teach this message. Because any one of you who have ever been a parent, I see new parents, so you will need this message soon. Any one of you who have ever raised children preached this entire message. The message of the warnings for lack of self-control. You better clean your room and do your homework. The reward of self-control. I'm going to give you an allowance. And you preach the message all the time, over and over and over again, because children are walking examples of the lack of self-control. I love them, but they have no self-control at all. <laughs> they don't know how to put themselves to sleep. They oftentimes don't know how, they don't know self-control to, to eat. They don't know the self-control to stop just wanting to eat ice cream. They don't know the self-control to, to work hard and do their homework. And they need little Holy Spirit guides to say, this is the way to live. And here is the fundamental breakdown in your parenting. Here's when it goes really well, and here's where it doesn't work so well at all. You are either teaching your children self-control through the law or through love. You are either saying, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, I will punish you and your life will be horrible and your life will be miserable, so you better do it because this is the law of the house and if you don't do it, you'll be condemned. As soon as they leave your house, they will go on an entire journey of self-discovery and freedom to get out of the burden of the law. And then there's the moments where we do it in love. Because I love you. Because I am your father who cares for you and I want nothing more than for you to do well. Listen to my instruction. Obey the household rules. And when you do it in love, it is the practice of what God is doing for all of us. You're no longer condemned. You are living under the grace of this household. You are living in a way where love will build you up in the way that you should go so that in all the ways I want you to know obedience, it is so that you have self-control to preserve your life. And it is with this in mind that God offers us the free gift of his Holy Spirit, the free gift of his guide for our lives. And look what it says, Galatians chapter 5. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you'll have a lesson in learning how to do that. Walk in the Spirit in the morning as you start your day praising God and having Him fill you once again with His life and His ways. Walk in the Spirit as you open the Word and study the, the teachings of wisdom to point you in the way that you should go, that you would have the control of the Word over your life. Walk in the Spirit as you pray and seek Him. Walk in the Spirit as you practice all of the ways that wisdom instructs your life. And if you do that, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, you shall not have an unruly spirit. You no longer live with your flesh telling you what to do. And Paul will go on to say all of those ways that lust of the flesh can so easily play out and so easily turn our lives into rubble. 
And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. For those of us who have received the free gift of salvation, to be born into his Spirit, to walk in his Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The one that ties all of them together. Against such things there is no law. It is the power of the Spirit to willingly be controlled by the goodness of God. And so the message does come in two ways. It comes in salvation and it comes in sanctification or cleansing. Some of you need to look at your life and confess and admit to God who brought you to hear this message today that you have allowed the walls to turn into rubble. You have allowed the overindulgence of your passions to lead you down a path of destruction and your moment with God right now is to say, I want to call upon your name to be my strong tower, to be my refuge. This is your moment of salvation, which is free. It is the grace of God to all who believe. And for those of us, which is all of us, who have experienced the power of the born-again life, to be regenerated by God, to choose rightly, to walk in his ways, we come time and time again to say, Lord, fill me anew, cleanse me anew for the little ways that there is cracks in my wall. I have put self at the center of worship once again. Sanctify me, God. Cleanse me so that my self-control would really be your control of my life.